What do you see when you look at the full moon? Our brains are, are built to find patterns, even when there aren't patterns there. And those patterns are often based on what we already know, what we already expect. That's what makes our culture, in the sense that culture is what we do around here, or culture is what we see around here. And so when I look at the full moon, I see a face. Because my whole life I've been told about the man in the moon, right? Or the person in the moon, if you wish. Um, and I know with my rational head that the dark patches and the light patches that I see on the moon are really craters and mountains and plains on that lunar surface. But my mind sees an eye and a nose and a cheek. It makes a face for me. But in Japan, they talk about the rabbit in the moon. And so they see a rabbit. And when I first learned that, I looked at the full moon and could not figure out for the life of me where that rabbit was. I had to go online and look it up, and then I could see it. But it didn't seem right. It didn't match what I expected. The patterns that we are taught become our culture. They become what we consider common sense, the way, things every, the way everybody does things, right? And in our parable this morning, Jesus talks about two people who operate out of common sense. The man who has the fig tree has planted a fig tree to grow figs, and it doesn't do that. And so common sense says to him, let's cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The gardener, though, operates from a different kind of common sense that doesn't look at what the fig tree did or didn't produce, but looks at the fig tree's potential and says, give me another year. Let me dig around the roots. Let me put manure on it and see what happens. The gardener is operating out of a more generous common sense. And I don't know about you, but in this world, I am thirsty for that kind of generous common sense. I want to receive it and experience it, and I want to be able to offer it to other people. So a couple of weeks ago, I was introduced to the work of Trabian Shorters. Mr. Shorters is an entrepreneur and consultant, and he's the founder and CEO of Be Me, the Be Me community which uh, resources and strengthens leaders in the black community in the United States. Mr. Shorters digs into the patterns of our culture to understand how the patterns and the stories that we tell ourselves, or that's part of the world around us, how it affects how we perceive and interact with other people, what we expect of them, what kind of resources we offer them. And he's developed a practice that he calls asset framing. Asset framing is about engaging people, or situations, if you like, from what their, what their value is, engaging them as intrinsically having value, engaging them according to their aspirations and their contributions, in opposition, of course, to deficit framing which is to view people first according to their problems or their limitations. 
And what Mr. Shorter says is that how we do this makes all the difference in the world in how we are able to approach the situations and the limitations and the blessings in our culture. So here's an example of asset framing in practice. The California Healthcare Foundation wanted to publish a report about how the COVID pandemic has affected the Latinx community in California. And they started out their report with these words. The Latinx community in the United States has always been, for the most part, on the bottom half of income in American society. They struggle to have access to health and mental care. That's part of their history, and the COVID-19 pandemic has intensified these problems. That lays it out. Then they did some work with Mr. Shorters, and the ultimate report started out this way. Since 2014, Latinx people have constituted the largest ethnic group in the nation's largest state. In recent years, they have made advances in economic well-being measured by metrics like reduced poverty rates and growth in business ownership. Despite this impressive social and economic progress, Latinx residents have lagged behind other Californians in achieving important goals. And we can now add to that list of disproportionate harm visited on this community by the COVID-19 pandemic. So you can see how those two pieces differ. How the first one thinks of the disproportionate effect of the COVID-19 pandemic as almost an inevitable continuation of what has always been. And the second one doesn't deny, and both of them are completely true, right? The second one doesn't deny any of those negative things, but starts with the resources and the ability to make change as a prelude to how we address the COVID-19 pandemic. One of my other favorite examples that Mr. Shorters uses is describing at-risk youth. He says it's not that there aren't at-risk youth, but calling them at-risk youth takes the circumstances in which they are living and identifies that with their very being. And when asked what he would call at-risk youth, Mr. Shorters says, Students, because that's what they are. They're students, and they have the same aspirations that all students do. They want to graduate, at least most of them do. They want to graduate. They want to make a life for themselves. Some of them live in very challenging circumstances. So what are we going to do about that? But let's start by calling them students. So when I go back to this parable from Jesus, it jumps out at me. The owner of this fig tree is deficit framing. This fig tree is not growing fruit, so we should cut it down. Why should it waste the soil? And the gardener is asset framing. The gardener is saying, what's the potential, what's the aspiration of this fig tree? How can we nurture that? Again and again, I see this in our scripture. And if you have heard a sermon that says that God is the owner of the fig tree and that God would cut down that fig tree and is waiting to punish us for our sins, but thank goodness for Jesus the gardener because through his crucifixion and death, he's talked to God out of punishing us. 
with all due respect to whoever gave that sermon, it's wrong. Jesus tells this story not to put himself in opposition to God as the the gardener and the owner. Jesus tells this story to tell us how God is the gardener, that all of us have value in God's eyes, that our best aspirations are planted in us by God. The root of the word aspiration is spirit. Our best aspirations come out of the spirit of God that is in us already. God is always waiting to dig around our roots to add manure to our lives. Sometimes that's more comfortable. Sometimes it's kind of smelly to help us grow and produce fruit. So Mr. Shorters has three basic steps for how he approaches asset framing. The first one is to pay attention to how we think. How do we think of people when we learn about them, when we meet them? Do we think about them first according to their value, according to their contributions, and according to their potentials and aspirations? Some of us grew up in families that did that pretty automatically. Some of us grew up in families that didn't. You may naturally head one direction or the other, And we can train ourselves. It's a spiritual discipline to choose to think of folk according to their value first. That's the first step. The second step is that when we engage with those folks, or when we tell other people about them, to describe them first according to their value and their aspirations. That, too, is a spiritual discipline. And when I think of living in those ways, that is like water on thirsty ground for me. The third step, he says, is to look at what is it that obstructs those aspirations? What is it that keeps people from producing fruit in their lives? And let's get to work on those. And he says he puts that third step in because this is not just positive thinking. This isn't just be happy and have a good attitude about things. This is understand the value that is inherent in all people and take a good hard look at what's really going on in the world and how do we fix what's getting in the way of people being who they can be in their own eyes and in God's eyes. And again, I hear echoes of what I believe is Christianity at its best, that all of us are created in the image of God, that Jesus tells us to love our neighbors and to love ourselves, that he asks us to care for the least of these, not because they're the least because of their situation. What he tells us is that he is those least of these, right? They have ultimate value. The least part is about their standing in society, not about who they are. As I said, this is water on my thirsty roots. But I also notice in this parable that Jesus talks about that the gardener doesn't just say to the owner, let me throw some water on those roots and see if that helps the tree grow. The gardener says, let me dig around those roots. Now you're meddling, right? Because Jesus not only says, love your neighbor as yourself, he also says, love your enemies. And when I take that seriously, I feel that gardener's spade 
going straight into some of the most tangled preconceptions and assumptions that I like to make about people, loosening that up, loosening me up to produce more fruit. And the gardener fertilizes this tree with manure, which is a really nice word for what comes out of the back end of a cow, right? Even in asset framing, even what we would call waste is not waste. There's the potential for fertilizer. There's the potential for it to create fruit if composted with enough prayer and enough time. I think this is what Isaiah is getting at too. All you who are hungry, all of you who are thirsty, Isaiah says, come and eat God's food and drink God's drink. And then this telling verse Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Which is a way of saying, where are you rooted? And are you watering your roots with things that stunt your growth or the growth of others? And why are you doing that? Today is the third Sunday of Lent. We're halfway on our journey to Holy Week. This is as good a time as any to stop and look at the practices in our lives and ask ourselves if they are helping us to bear fruit. Are they nourishing us? Are they loosening up the places where we're stuck? Are they finding ways to take even difficult situations and rework them into times of learning, into times of growth? If there's something in your life that is not feeding you, that is not growing your spirit, then consider the invitation of these next three or four weeks as a time when you might consider setting that aside and trying to live without it for a while. That's the giving up of Lent, right? It might feel weird. It might be uncomfortable. Try it for a few weeks. In addition to that, or instead of that, maybe, if there's something that you believe would feed your roots, that would help you to bring fruit and life into the world, try that on for these next weeks, for this second half of Lent. Be in partnership with the gardener of your soul for your own growth. Today's the first day of spring. In our house, there are buds just getting ready to burst on our lilac bush. I was so excited to see them this morning. This is a time of spring in us as well. And the one who made us, the one who taught and died and rose for us, the one who enters our bodies with every breath we take, is the one that wants to see us grow in grace, and in fruit. May this be so for us. Amen. Our next hymn is uh, You Who Are Thirsty. I think it's 2132 in, your, in the faith we sing.